Have you ever heard the story of the guy that, this is not theologically correct or biblically, it's one of those parable joke things, okay? The guy that goes to heaven and he really, really wants to take something with him. And they're like, no, nothing, you don't need to take anything. Everything is fine. He says, just one thing. I just want to take one thing. And so finally they said, all right. The angel said, all right, you can take one thing. And so he brings, you know, he's bringing his suitcase and he's walking into heaven. And they said, you know, well, before you go in, we need to inspect it, make sure that it's, that it's okay to be in heaven, right? And so they open it up. Another angel comes and looks at it and they look at each other and they just kind of smile and they grin and they close it back up and they hand it to him and they said, as you were. And so he goes on in. Well, the other angels didn't get to see and they said, what did he bring? He brought pavement. Gold, get it? Gold, the streets of gold. Yeah, see, he brought pavement. I know, it'll catch up with you at lunchtime. It's all right. Oftentimes, we can get into this mode of things on this earth that seem to be more important. When I was little and the talk about the coming of Christ, there was a part of me that was really, really excited about Jesus coming again, but there was this other part of me as a, as a, as a teenager who wanted to still live this life. I wanted to experience things. I wanted to grow up. I wanted to get married. I wanted to have a family. I didn't want to leave my Nintendo behind. Like, these, were, these are thoughts that as kids and teenagers, you wonder, like, all of this is going to go away? I mean, as kids, we value and we treasure the, the, the dumbest things, right? I mean, a lot of kids are treasuring bags of candy this week. Like, that's their treasure, right? And so as kids, everything can become a treasure. But then you think about it as adults, things are treasures. We, many of us, fall into that trap on this earth thinking that this may be all that there is. And so we work ourselves to the point of exhaustion. We rarely take a break for rest. We watch our bank accounts closer than we watch our own hearts. We get caught up in the 401ks, the 403bs, and the Roth IRAs. I don't even know what all those are. Many of us live paycheck to paycheck being slaves to our jobs just trying to survive. It's a tough world that we live in. And yet Jesus, in his Sermon on the Mount, tells us, do not store up your treasures on earth. How do we reconcile what Jesus says, but yet how we live. Is there a balance? Is there a way? Is, what, what, what is this? And, and how do we store up treasure in heaven? That's what we're going to be looking at today. I invite you to open your Bibles with me to, to Matthew chapter 6. And we look at starting in verse 19. And we're going to take a couple of sections here. But in, in chapter 6 of Matthew, starting in verse 19. Father, as we open up your word here today and we study it, I pray that your spirit would speak, that you would anoint my lips and the words that I speak would be from you. I wouldn't get in the way of what it is that you're trying to do in each one of our hearts. 
May your words speak loud and may our, our hearts be open to what it is that you have for us today. Pour your spirit out, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Matthew 6, 19, it says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Wealth was a really important part of the Jewish culture. And not a whole lot has changed in our, in our day and age, right? But for them, wealth was tied to blessings. So if you were wealthy, if you had things, then you were considered blessed by God, unless you cheated to get your wealth. So tax collectors, uh uh-uh, you're not blessed because you stole and you cheated and you did all those things. But if you were following the Jewish principles of money management and you were wealthy and you didn't cheat anybody and you weren't doing anything, then you were considered blessed. And so it was common for people to want to grow their wealth. They want to they have more. Well, the problem was, was they didn't have banks and investments like we do today. I mean, maybe they could go to money changers and do some investing with them. But for the most part, whatever they had, it was tangible, physical in their hands. So maybe they had very expensive cloth. Maybe they had coins. You know, maybe, maybe they had just anything that was considered of value. And so in doing that, in, in order to protect those things, they would often have places in their homes that were considered safe rooms or whatever, kind of what we have today, you know, the little box that we have with a little combination or whatever. They didn't have that. But maybe they would bury it. Well, if you buried the certain things, like coins and things, over the course of time, moisture would get to it and it would rust and it would decay. It would just kind of fall apart. So as Jesus is saying, look, things are going to get consumed. They're going to rust away. They're going to go, moths can come in and, and take that silk and just be done with it, right? Have you ever had a moth get into your closet? How frustrating to have your, you know, your favorite sweater have holes all over it, you know? And now you just go as Swiss cheese as a, at a party. The, the other things that, that you look at, rust destroys, moth destroys, thieves break in and steal, you know, most of their houses were made out of dirt. <laughs> so what would you have thieves do? They would dig through walls. So they would dig through walls to be able to sneak in and grab whatever. So what, what Jesus is describing is something that they all recognized. We don't usually think of moths and, and rust, or rust destroying our cars maybe, but moths and rust, and then this idea of thieves being able to get in. And he says, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and all these things destroy. Jesus says, stop. In other words, in, in the way that it really translates, it's not so much do not lay up. Ultimately, it says, stop laying up. So it was something that they were doing. It was something that they went after. And like I said, not a whole lot has changed in our day, Right? Everybody is looking for the quick, rich scheme of another way to get ahead. There's, there's pyramid schemes, and there's, there's people that lie to other people to try to get them to buy whatever it is. Look, there, there are people that think that wealth is the ultimate. If I just had more money, this, what wasn't it this last week? I didn't see, I, I didn't even know what it was, but wasn't there something called like Montana Millions or something like that? And people are flooding to go buy a ticket 
to win the lottery of millions of dollars because we think that money would just solve everything. And Jesus says, stop. Stop storing up your treasure on earth. It is showing, and we'll see this in the next part, uh, not today, but we'll look at it, but it's showing our lack of trust of our heavenly Father. And so by hoarding, by keeping, by always wanting that next thing, that is what Jesus is, is warning against. You've heard that the love of money is the root of all evil. Money's not bad. Wealth isn't bad. There was nothing wrong with being wealthy. It was, it was what are your values and what are your principles. Job was a very wealthy guy. And it was all gone. And then God came and doubled it. So it's, it's not like he's like, you learned your lesson, now live with nothing. I mean, Job's priority and his values were his heavenly father. And he continued to remain faithful to that, even though he was asking questions and trying to understand it, all those things. But God then turns around and says, well, here's double of what you had. So I, it's not that these things are bad. It's where our priorities are. Jesus says instead, in verse 20, I want you to lay up for yourselves. It says, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And the treasures in heaven, he says, cannot be destroyed. He says, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Store up treasure in heaven. Remember what Jesus just got done talking about. Remember in the, in the beginning of chapter, uh, chapter 6. Yeah, beginning of chapter 6. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. So he, he, there is a, a warning. Be careful not to be doing these things. So if you give to be seen by others, what did he say? You've received your reward. If you pray to be heard by others, you've received your reward. If you fast to be noticed by other people, to be spiritual, you've received your reward. But if you do it in secret, on all three of those, he says, if you do it in secret, your father sees and he will reward you. And in, and in this, it begins to shift. Instead of looking up, looking for and storing up treasures on earth, looking for reward here, Jesus tells us now to store up treasure in heaven and wait for a heavenly reward. So that means you're supposed to tithe. That's a joke. Oftentimes when we get into this and we talk about storing up treasures for heaven, pastors go on this big thing about giving money to the church and all these different things. I don't believe that's what Jesus is, is saying. However, if that's an issue, deal with it and address it. Remember in verse 1, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. So it seems that there's a connection here. That one of the ways to store up treasures in heaven is with acts of righteousness. 
If he says, beware of practicing these things in front of people, I still want you to practice them, but only for your heavenly Father to see. But there's something else. So here's the question. Does that mean that my actions or my work really does play a role in my salvations? In my salvation? I mean, I thought that we were saved by grace alone. Well, Ephesians 2 is where we find that, that verse, right? Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 10. For by grace you have been saved through what? Through faith. It is by grace that you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. That faith is a gift of God, not a result of works, lest anyone should boast. So the salvation thing and the works thing, Paul makes abundantly clear that the works don't save you. It says, for we are his workmanship. So God is continuing to work on us. It says we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? What does it say that we're created for? We're created for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. This is so interesting here because we're saved by grace through faith. Faith is a gift of God, not by works so no one can boast. We are his workmanship and we are created in Christ Jesus for good works. And God prepared that beforehand so that we could walk in him. So let's break this down even more simple. We're saved by grace alone. We are given faith as a gift and we are created in Christ to live a life of good works. According to Jesus, even based on this, but you'll find this theme all over his teachings, that we can either store up treasure here on earth or we can store up treasure in heaven. And we can do good works to be seen by people or we do them to only be seen by God. What difference does it really make? Well, I believe it's this. Have you ever invested your money in something? Or maybe someone? Maybe a family member, somebody you love, you, somebody you care about is really in a hard time and so you say, look, I'm going to give you some money to, to do whatever. If it's buy groceries or, you know, it's to pay bills or maybe it's even to start a business, whatever it is. You know, you invest in someone. Uh, in, other, in other denominations, uh, it's called seed money. I don't know if you've ever heard of that, but I'm going to put my seed money here and let God grow it and whatever, all these different things. So here's the thing is whether you're investing in someone or whether you're investing in something, don't you watch to see what they're going to do with it? I mean, if someone's having a hard time paying their bills, and so you give them money so that they can pay their bills, and then the next day you see them going out to eat or whatever the case is, wouldn't you go, wait a minute. Now granted, we don't know, maybe they got a gift card. Maybe somebody is taking, who knows? I, we don't know. We can't be all judgy like that, but you'd be watching, and you'd probably wonder. If you've ever invested anything, if you've got a 401k or 403b or anything, anything along those lines, pension, whatever, if you have put your money in something, even social security, don't you watch it? Don't you wonder? I mean, there are people that put all of their stakes in like big one-name stocks, right? Like, can you imagine? 
being invested in, in Walmart or Apple back in the day, Google. I remember when Google hit. And man, I, if I could have just, yeah, I was in college, if I could have paid for one share, <laughs> one share, I'd have, been, I'd have been good. I'd say, I love y'all. No, I'm just kidding. I'd stay. No, the, the whole thing here is that, but the point is, Jesus says that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And the point is this, is if you invest in one thing, or you invest in these things, your heart's going to follow it, whether you realize it or not. And so Jesus is saying, in, the, in, the, in life, you can either put your treasures in heaven, and that's where your heart will be, or you can put your treasures on earth, and that's where your heart will be. Do you get it? We continue in verse 22. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, and your whole, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? The eye was a... a, a pretty important illustration that a lot of times were used in Jewish teaching. And, and, and what they taught, what they believed, was that light came from within the eye, and that's how you were able to see. That's what, that's what they thought, instead of, uh, instead of light passing through your eye so that you can see. But they thought that, that that's how things operated. And so oftentimes they would take that more of a spiritual lesson more than a scientific one. They were just saying that at wherever you're, whatever is inside you, whatever you're looking out that's how you see. And so if there's good light in you, then you're going to be able to share that light. But if your light that is supposed to be in there is actually darkness, Jesus says, it's dark, dark, and you're not going to be able to, effective, you're not going to, be, able to be effective in anything. He goes on to say that there's good eyes and there's bad eyes. In, in, in King James, it says that it's a single eye. And that's probably the best translation of that particular part, is to be a single eye. And what does it mean to be a single eye? Is to be single-minded. Now, in some cases, it would be generous. To be a healthy eye, good eye, single eye would be considered generous. And a bad eye or an evil eye would be stingy. And so this is another time where we look at things and we go, okay, Jesus is talking about being generous versus being stingy. And while there could very well be that thread in there, I think that Jesus was, was pointing to something a little bit more specific because of the context that we're in. So while there are lessons for being generous and there are lessons on being stingy, this goes beyond that. Because when you look at the next part no one can serve two masters. So it's not really about the whole generosity thing, although generosity is very important. And it's not so much about being stingy, although there's a warning there. Jesus is telling us to be single-minded. Singleness of eyesight results in singleness of purpose. Singleness of eyesight results in singleness of purpose. It results in wholehearted devotion to the kingdom of heaven and to the practice of its eternal principles. 
if I'm double-sided. <laughs> and believe it or not, I don't, know if, I don't know if I've ever told you this, but when I was about three or four years old, I almost went blind because I had an eye that would turn in. It was a lazy eye that would turn in. I saw double of everything all the time. I know, I know what it means to be double, double-sided. <laughs> you know, my eye would turn in and my mom would go, what is happening? <laughs> and so anyways, as, as they tried to get all that fixed, I ended up almost losing my eye. But by God's grace and a really great doctor, we were able, they were able to turn it around. I was just a kid. I didn't do anything. I just did what I was told. But listen to Philippians 3. And if you want to turn there with me, you're welcome to. Philippians chapter 3, starting verse 8. This is Paul. I love Paul. I just love his writings. Philippians 3 verse 8, he says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. I count everything as lost. Nothing else matters. That's what he's saying. Nothing else matters because I know the worth of knowing Jesus Christ. And he goes on, for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. This is important, you know, for Paul to say this. I mean, Paul was a high teacher, right? I mean, he, to think that Paul was a poor dude, he was not. He had it all. And he gave up everything to the point that he's out building tents just to keep his ministry going. So he knew, and he said, I gave it all up for one person, and that one person was Jesus Christ. And I count all that stuff. He said, I don't even miss it. I think of it as rubbish, garbage, trash, things that were getting in the way. He, can, he continues in, in verse 13, some of my favorite verses right here. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize, upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. These are important. These are important verses. Paul says, I'm not saying that I've got it all together. I'm not, I'm not perfect. But one thing I do is I put the past in the past. And I look upward and onward. And because he's looking upward and onward, he presses on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So he's saying, look, I have, I have forgiveness. I'm moving on. I'm moving forward. That's the past. It's my old self. It's gone. It's dead. And I'm moving on. I counted all that stuff that I used to have. It's rubbish. It doesn't matter. And you know what that feels like, don't you? Just pause for a moment. You know what that feels like. When you encounter Jesus Christ, everything 
that you've earned everything you've worked so hard to do, you realize it just doesn't matter at all. And maybe our thoughts are, well, it matters a little bit, Pastor. <laughs> Look, we, we live this life, but where are our priorities? What's our single-minded focus? And Paul is telling us that his single-minded focus is the kingdom of heaven. And he says, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if any of you think otherwise, so he says, let us know that we're moving forward. We're moving on. We're not living in the past. We're not going that way. We're not going to go the old, old way of living, whether it's in religion, in the way that we used to sacrifice, in the way that we used to live, in the way that we used to work, all those things. He says, we're moving onward to the prize. And if you're not there yet, God's going to get you there. Isn't that what he says? If you're not there yet, God's going to get you there. And he says, let us hold on to what we attained. Let us hold on to salvation in Jesus. As we hang on to that, everything else begins to shift and move to where, in its proper place. Paul tells us, look up and look ahead. Look up and look ahead. Keep focused on Christ and his kingdom. A bad or evil eye is blinded by the love of self. So you have the, the good eye, the single-minded eye, focused on Christ and his kingdom. Bad eye is blinded by the love of self. This is about what I do. It's about what I have. Forgetting that we have attained salvation and thinking that another way is necessary. I love this in uh, Thoughts Amount of Blessings. It says, But when the eye is blinded by the love of self, there's only darkness. If your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. It was this fearful darkness. Listen to this, this is so important. It was this fearful darkness that wrapped the Jews in stubborn unbelief, making it impossible for them, making it impossible for them to appreciate the character and mission of Jesus who came to save them from their sins. They didn't believe that he was the Messiah. They didn't believe that he was good enough. They didn't believe that he was sufficient enough. And because of that unbelief of believing that Jesus is sufficient, their eyes were blind and they were full of darkness. May it never be for those of us who have experienced the gospel of Jesus Christ be in a stubborn unbelief thinking that Jesus didn't do it all so I have to do it too. Pick up where Jesus left off. Pick up where Jesus left off. Jesus, on the cross, took the sin of the world. He went to the grave. He comes out resurrected, and he is renewed and redeemed. He's a new creation, a new life. He's not going to die again. He's taken that. He's done it. And he says, you live in freedom. He tells us, he tells us, you and I are alive to God through Jesus Christ. how stubborn we are. No one can serve two masters. 
For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will devote it to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Mammon is the word. It's kind of anything that has to do with wealth. What Jesus is saying is there's really no neutrality when it comes to serving Jesus. One will always win out. I know. For years of my life, I tried to do everything the right way while my heart was trying to go another way. You play that, that double line. I always said it, one, one foot in the church and one foot in the world, however you want to do it. I, I knew what I was supposed to do because, well, I would learn from a very young age how you, how you should behave, right? Behave yourself. <laughs> We're going to church, behave yourself. <laughs> so I knew how to behave, but my heart wasn't there. My heart was looking around and seeing what the world had to offer. One will always win out. And for a point in my life, the world won out because that's where my eye was focused. This double-mindedness, this double-sidedness, this idea of, yeah, I can do both. One will always win out because the priorities of your life, of your values, of your heart, they lead, don't they? They lead you to make decisions, and if they're not in the right place, they end up making decisions that you would never in your right mind would have made. Have you ever done something and you look back and go, what in the world was I thinking? Yeah. How could I have been so dumb? How could I have said that, right? Oh, there are times that I wish I could just go back. I had a time machine. I'd go back and fix things. But when we have a single-minded heart, towards the kingdom of heaven. Our priorities change. Our values change. So what does this look like in your life? What does it look like in your life to store up treasure in heaven? Because that's what Jesus is telling us. He's saying there's, there's warnings here, one or the other. So he tells us, store up treasure in heaven, not on earth. What does that mean? Does that mean all my good works? Does that mean all my money? How do I store up treasure in heaven? Can I share with you? I love this. It's a great quote, a sermon on the Mount of Blessing, or thoughts on the Mount of Blessing. Beautiful book. This is what she says. This treasure, listen, this treasure which Christ esteems as precious above all estimate is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. That's out of Ephesians chapter one. The disciples of Christ are called his jewels. His precious and peculiar treasure. He says they shall be as the stones of a crown. I will make a man more precious than fine gold, even a man than the golden wedge of, of Ophir. Christ looks upon his people in their purity and perfection as the reward of all of his sufferings, his humiliation and his love and the supplement of his glory. Christ, the great center 
from whom radiates all glory. What is the treasure? You are. You're the treasure. You're the treasure of God. And that's what makes this so powerful because he's, when he is saying store up your treasure, what does he say? Store up for yourselves. This is for us. He says when you have a single-minded toward the kingdom of heaven, you're placing your heart there and you are treasure. You are the treasure of heaven. Lay up for yourselves. The disciples of Christ are called his jewels. What does he say that he's called us? What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? So when we're storing up treasure, we aren't doing good works just to do good works. It's not to do work so we can be there. That's works-based religion. We do good works. One, because in Christ, we can't help it. And two, because of the impact it can have on other people. Think about this. Remember Matthew 5? This was not that long ago. I know it was at the beginning of the year, okay? (laughs) But in the scripture, it's just a chapter back. Remember Matthew chapter 5? In in, uh, verse 16, he says, In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see what? Your good works, and then do what with it? And say, wow, you're good. No. What was it? So that they will give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So in other words, those whom we love and we witness to and those who see the words that we say, how we behave, how we treat this world, what our priorities are, what our values are, you know what you're doing? You're not only storing up treasure in heaven by your heart, you're making more treasure. Come on now. You're making more treasure. You're creating more jewels. You are doing exactly what God is calling us to do. We are the treasure. They are the treasure. And guess what? You're someone's treasure because someone was witnessing to you. Someone has shown you what the love of Jesus is. And you know what? You're treasure. I'm treasure. We're all treasure. Let's all be treasure together. We are God's treasure. And we're someone else's treasure. Your worth can't be measured because you are God's treasure. I came up with this one too. I couldn't decide on the two. This world might give you pleasure, but in heaven, you're God's treasure. Can you imagine in your life and what it would look like if every disciple, every follower of Jesus begin to recognize that everything we do is not trying to appease our God. Everything we do is in response to our God. We live out of the abundance of his grace. We live out of the abundance of being in Christ. And when we do that, and we're not distracted by the world, and we're not distracted by our selfish feelings and our selfish ambition, every word, every action. Can you imagine how many in our life 
at our work, at our school, in our homes, our neighborhoods, how many could become treasure? Because we allowed Christ to take our eyes and fix them on him and his kingdom. In doing so, you, yourself, you remain treasure. <laughs> you stay in it. Why? Because if your heart is there and you're helping others get there, you're invested and you want to see where this goes. Invested and single-minded, you and I are the treasure that Jesus is talking about. So don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. That stuff gets destroyed. But you and I and those whom we love and we witness to becoming treasure, Jesus says, you'll never be destroyed. You live forever. We are treasures in heaven. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we don't deserve on our own to even be called your children. But because of what Jesus has done and you've drawn us to you in Christ, you are the one that makes us not just worthy, not just children, but treasure, valuable, worthy. You found us so worthy that you came and you lived and you redeemed. You took the sin of the world to set us free. Lord, maybe some of us have been double-minded as James says in, in, in the word. Maybe, maybe we have not been single-minded. Maybe we've had a bad eye. We've been so fixated on, on retirement or we've been fixated on uh, gaining and achieving and, and making sure that, that everything is taken care of here on this earth. Lord, I know that you're not telling us to just quit our job and do nothing. <laughs> we are to take care of our families and to take care of those around us but to trust in you and knowing that you're the owner of all things and we manage those things that you give to us, that we wouldn't try to conjure it up on our own or to create our own resources, but we would simply rely on you. Keep our eyes fixed to look up and to look ahead, to be single-minded on the kingdom of heaven, to recognize that there's no neutrality. I can't do both. So by God's grace and in, in Christ, I choose heaven. We choose heaven. Because there's nothing greater than being in your presence. Thank you for being here with us today, Father. And as we leave this place, thank you for the promise that you would never leave us and you never forsake us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.